Thank you for joining us on the Hope Church LV podcast. We are so excited that you came across this message. The sermon you're about to listen to is from our series, This is 20. If you're joining us for the first time, I wanna be the first to say, welcome to Hope Church. Go ahead and open up the Hope Church LV app or visit hopechurchlv.com and click connect with us to fill out a short digital connection card. If you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast to help spread hope to the world. Once again, thanks for joining us today. Enjoy the sermon. We are having church this weekend. Amen. What a blessing. Well, those of you who know me well, this will come as no surprise to you, but I am very passionate about food. I'm really passionate about food, and I'm not just passionate about food that I'm eating. I get passionate about other people eating good food. Like, I'm at a table with somebody who's eating good food. I want them to enjoy it as much as as I enjoy watching them enjoy it. I I love good food, and my wife and I just a few weeks ago uh, got back from sabbatical, and man, I really struggled when I got back my first week just mentally trying to get back in the game because it dawned on me that the single biggest question I'd ask every day for weeks was, what am I going to eat today? Like, that's where I was living, and jumping back in was kind of overwhelming, and uh, one of the, my favorite places in the world, my wife and I, our family, we vacation there quite often when we get a chance to, but it's down off the, across the bay of San Diego out on Coronado Island. We love going out there. If you've ever been out to Coronado Island, it's a little bit like stepping back in time with all the diners and the jukeboxes and the soda fountains and just an amazing beach. And I love to just kind of eat my way across the island. <laughs> and there's a lot of places, a lot of you that know me have heard me talk about Clayton's Coffee Shop there on Coronado Island. Maybe the best homemade pies you've ever eaten in your life. Coconut cream pie, blueberry pie, apple pie, just all kind of great pies. My other place I love is Miguel's Mexican there. They got this jalapeno cream white cheese dip that will just set you on fire and it is glorious. Hope you've eaten dinner already or lunch. Hope you've already been satisfied. But this year when we were down there, I found a new place that, that's relatively new and it opened up and, and we went and gave it a try and man, I'm telling you, it was my favorite meal of the entire sabbatical. So much so that if it's all right with you, I want to let you in on it. I'm going to show you some pictures of the meal. Yeah, I'm that guy. I take pictures of everything that I eat. So we, we opened up that meal with a course that was their famous house-made pretzels and provolone fondue. Check that out. I know, it's awesome, right? Like it's even better than it looks in the picture. It's amazing. And like that cheese is just unbelievable. So we eat that and then we move to the main course and I got a braised short rib on a bed of smashed potatoes. And man, I'm t- I know, I hear you, right? It's just, and I wish you could, I wish this was like scratch and sniff. I wish you could experience the glory of this food. And man, we were eating all those pretzels and then I ate all this and I was so ecstatic. I asked for the manager to come to our table. Yeah, I'm that guy too. And the manager comes and I'm like 10 minutes just telling him, I would literally travel here to eat this piece of meat. Like I would come here just for this. And he was so excited about my rave review that he had them send a dessert. Like we were already so full, but he sent this dessert and I got to tell you what it was. It was a Peanut butter, caramel, flourless, chocolate brownie with vanilla bean gelato. I'm telling you. And listen, when we finished this, 
I was so full. I mean, you know that place of satisfaction where we do that American thing. We take the napkin off our lap and we kind of wave it in the air with a swirl of surrender and we throw it on the table and we push back from the table and we just say, man, I can't hold another bite. What if, what if life could be like that? How would you like to live a life so full that you get to the end of life and you push away from life's table and you say, I literally can't hold another bite. I'm so full. I'm so satisfied with life. I came across an article this week in, on NBC News website that said Americans today, based on some surveys and polls that have been done, are the most unhappy they've been in over 50 years. It's not just in our country. Look around the world. What if we could push away from the table and say, I just can't hold another bite. Anybody else want a life like that? Did you know the Bible tells us about a man who lived that Let me show it to you. If you have your Bible, open it to Genesis chapter 25. We're going to look at one verse. And out of this verse, what I want to do is do a little bit of a character study on this individual. So I'm going to be jumping around unlike normal here. If you're a guest, and I know a lot of our people this weekend have invited guests to come with them uh, to to church this weekend to celebrate our birthday. And because we got a, a great message that we want to share with you, the greatest message in the history of the world, which is the message of Jesus. And so I know for some of you, this is the first time you're in our church. And, and, and what we normally do is we take a text of Scripture, we jump in right where we're studying, and we just camp out there, and we stay right there. But this weekend, I'm going to do a little bit of a character study and jump around throughout the Scripture to learn about the life of this one individual. And his name is Abraham. In Genesis chapter 25 and verse 8, it describes Abraham's life at the end. Listen to what it says. Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age. An old man, and say the next phrase out loud, and full of years. In the Hebrew, this phrase, full of years, is one word. You know what it literally means? Satisfied. Abraham Breathed his last. He he died in a good old age, an old man, and full, satisfied. He was completely content. The, The word satisfaction, here's a word that means more than enough. He'd had all that life could give him, and he pushed away from life's table and said, man, I'm full, and he was gathered 
to his people. What was it that enabled Abraham to get to the end of his life and push away from life's table and say, man, I'm full? I think there's three things that we can notice from his life if you do a study of his life that help us understand that. Here's the first one. Abraham knew God. Abraham knew God. I'm not saying Abraham knew about God. Abraham knew God. Religion has a lot of opinions and ideas about God. For example, Buddhism says that there really is no God, that everyone is just on a path to greater enlightenment, and your achievement of enlightenment is your achievement of the divine, but there's really no supreme being, no God. Hinduism says that there's an infinite manifestation of gods, meaning you and I can't really know who God is because God can be anything. God could be in any person. He could be in any object, animate or inanimate. An infinite manifestation of God's. Islam, Islam says that there is one God, but Islam says about this God that he is unknowable. That he's so transcendent, that he's so distant, that he's so aloof. Yes, we're to worship God, but Islam would say you can never know God personally. It's interesting that this is where you find something very unique about what the Christianity of the Bible teaches. Christianity says there is a God. And Christianity says the God of this Bible, not only is he knowable, he created you for a relationship with himself. How about that? When you study the world religions, there's all these ideas about God, but only Christianity says that God created you for the express purpose above everything else in life. He made you to know him and to live your life out of the overflow of a love relationship with him. The wise man Solomon in the Old Testament writes about this. In the book of Ecclesiastes, listen to what he said. He said, he, God, has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, don't miss this. He, God, has put eternity into man's heart. It's describing this longing for eternity. This longing for something that is more than just this life of time and, and, and space. He's put eternity in our hearts. But listen to what it said. Yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from beginning to end. Meaning, because God made us for a relationship with himself, there's this longing to know God. There's this longing to know what's bigger than us, but we're left in a condition where we can't figure it out on our own. William MacDonald in his commentary writing about this verse, listen to what he said. I thought this was so powerful. Though living in a world of time, Man, human beings, have intimations of eternity. Instinctively, we think of forever. And though he cannot understand the concept, he realizes that beyond this life, there is the possibility of a shoreless ocean of time. I mean, think about it. In our movies, books, plays, poems, songs, 
art, all of these aspects of society reveal this obsession in the human heart for something that is beyond the now. Why? I'll tell you why. Because the God of the Bible created us above everything else for a relationship with himself. And you will never know life until you know God. And here's what I'm telling you. Abraham knew God. Let me show you what the New Testament says about Abraham. In James chapter 2, get this. It says the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he, Abraham, was called what? A what? A friend of who? Wow. I was reading this morning in my my God time, and I read across Psalm 29, verse 10, where the psalmist said, The Lord is the one who sat enthroned at the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. This God we're talking about, the most cataclysmic event in the history of the world was when the world was flooded in its entirety. And the Bible says when that happened, let me tell you where God was, sitting on the throne. The God that created everything you and I can see, taste, touch, feel, or smell with the word of his mouth. Like he didn't even have to put effort into it. He spoke and it was. That God, get this, was Abraham's friend. Like not just his God. He was the friend of God. It literally could be translated and Abraham was God's friend. That's step one to get into the end and being able to push away from the table and say, man, I haven't, I've had all I can hold. The friend of God? Well, it begs a question. How did Abraham get to be the friend of God? How did he come to know God? And boys, human beings, because we have eternity written on our hearts, We've come up with all kinds of ways, we think, that enable us to know God. For example, I'll put these up on the screen. We've tried good works. Good works is when we attempt to earn God's friendship by doing good things, right? We've all tried that. We've all tried to make God our friend, make God be happy with us by trying to do some good stuff. The problem with this is, let me show you what the Bible says in Isaiah. In Isaiah, it says all our righteous deeds, all the good stuff we can do is like a polluted garment. Here's what that means. On my very best day, like if you grade on the curve, on my very, I mean the day that I lay my head down and go, I got it all right today. On my very best day, God is so holy. And if you study this word in Hebrew, man, it's filthy. I'll let you go look it up. It's filthy. It's dirty. On my best day, God doesn't see me as good. He sees me as sinful in my own strength, in my own effort. So good works is not the answer. Then we 
We try another way. We try morality. What is morality? Morality is when we attempt to earn God's friendship by not doing wrong things. Now, good works is we try to do some good stuff to overcome the bad stuff. This morality is us trying to earn God's friendship by not doing all the bad stuff. It's not about doing good stuff. It's just, it's just trying to not do. And so, man, I'm going to somehow earn God's friendship by giving up this and giving up this and not doing this and uh, denying myself of this. And if I'll just deny myself of all of this stuff and stay away from all the bad, then maybe God will be my friend. problem with that is here's what the Bible says. None is righteous. Now, you take that word none and you study it in the Greek language that's written in the New Testament. You know what the word none means? None. It's when you draw a zero, what you find in the middle, that's none. Zero. None is righteous. In case we weren't clear on what he meant, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. <laughs> and if we're going to be honest, we'd have to say, yeah, <laughs> That's true. We've all blown it. So then we try to clean this thing up with religion. Religion is when we attempt to earn God's friendship by keeping a set of rules and rituals. Now you call it whatever you want to call it. Call it Islam, call it Buddhism, call it Hinduism. Listen, call it Christianity. I don't care what you call it. If you're trying to, listen, there's a whole bunch of people sitting in churches across this country this weekend who are attempting to earn God's friendship by giving their nod to God on Sunday. Trying to follow some rules and some rituals and if I'll just dot every I and cross every T, I can kind of live how I want to live, but if I just jump through enough spiritual hoops, then God will be my friend. Let me show you the problem with this. James said, for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. It's the illustration of a chain. Imagine this chain of ten links. And just imagine the chain of ten links is the ten commandments. So I'm going to try to be religious. I'm going to try to keep the ten commandments. I think everybody in the room be honest and say, I've broken the ten commandments at least once or twice, right? And if you didn't think you had, you just did. Because one of them is, thou shalt not lie. If God's up here on one end of the chain and you're on the other, does it really matter which of the ten links breaks? That's the point of James. If one of them breaks, you're guilty of it all. So then how did Abraham do it? How did Abraham get to be the friend of God? Get this, the same way you and I have been invited to be the friend of God. Look at Genesis chapter 15. It's what James was quoting when he said Abraham was God's friend. Look what it says. And he, Abraham, believed. He believed the Lord and he, God, 
counted it to him, Abraham, as righteousness. How did Abraham become the the friend of God? Here's how he did it. He put his trust in God. He became the friend of God by faith. Abraham put his faith in God's promise. You see, some people have the misunderstanding that people in the Old Testament in the Bible were saved by keeping the law of God, and people in the New Testament are now saved by faith in what Jesus did, but that's not what the Bible teaches. From Genesis to Revelation, we're reading about Abraham right here. Abraham wasn't saved by keeping the law. It was by believing in the Lord. You see, Abraham was saved just like we are by faith in the promise of God. The difference is Abraham became the friend of God by looking forward to the promise of a Messiah who would come. We now on this side of the cross live by faith, looking backwards at the Messiah who came. But on both sides of the cross, the way we're made the friend of God is by believing in the promise of God. You say, what's the promise? (laughs) Here's the promise. You see, you and I as human beings sinned against God. And even though God created us for a relationship with himself, because God is holy, God will not fellowship with sin. And there was nothing we could do to earn our way back into the friendship of God. But God loved us so much. And God wanted a relationship with us so much. That God sent his son. He told Abraham, I'm going to send through you someone who will come into the world and be a blessing to all the peoples of the earth. And and now we know the fulfillment of that promise in Jesus in John chapter 3. Listen to what the Bible says in John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him. See, that word believes should not perish but have eternal life. Eternal life. We sometimes think of eternal life as this place you go when you die. But eternal life is more than that. Eternal life is not just about a place you go. Eternal life is about a quality of life. It's about a love relationship with God. Jesus said this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God. You see, what Abraham did was Abraham believed in the Lord. And here's what the Bible says happened. It was counted to him as righteousness. Now, here's what that means. When Abraham put his faith in God and the promise of one who would come to save him, God credited to Abraham's account his own righteousness. Now, here's what that means. God now looked at Abraham not as a sinner, not as somebody who couldn't earn his way in, not as somebody who'd broken God's law. God looked at Abraham as righteous as himself because he'd been given that through belief in the person of Jesus, the coming of a Messiah. And here's what I'm telling you today. God loves you so much that even though you've sinned against God, even though I've sinned against God, He sent his son Jesus into the world and Jesus took all of your sin and all of my sin on himself. And on the cross, Jesus died. He paid the penalty for our sin. But the best news I can tell you today is he did not stay dead. He rose again from the dead. Get this, as a testimony that God had accepted his sacrifice for our sin so that now when you and I do what Abraham did, when we believe in Jesus, guess what happens? We are brought back into a fellowship relationship with God and I can say with confidence not because I've earned it not because I deserve it but because of Jesus I can say with confidence tonight I am the friend of God 
Abraham knew God. Now, when I talk about faith, faith means more than just acknowledging some facts in your head. Faith is about surrender. Abraham surrendered himself. He he rested his weight on the promise of God. To try to illustrate it for you, back in 1991, 1991, I was a youth pastor in a church. I was engaged to be married. My wife and I now, at the the time she was my fiance, we, we led a group of about 150 students up to a retreat in the Smoky Mountains, a little town called Gatlinburg. And up in Gatlinburg, outside of Gatlinburg, was a little community called Pigeon Forge. Anybody ever been there? It's like a Baptist Vegas, I guess the best way to describe it if you've never been. Back in 1991, they'd kind of rolled out this new thing, this new attraction called bungee jumping. They had a tower that was built there in Pigeon Forge. It was about 75, 100 feet tall. I don't know. It felt like 1,000. And I'm standing down there at the bottom of my fiance with 100 students. And they're all like, come on, Pastor Van. If you're cool, you'll go up there and bungee jump. I'm right there in front of my fiance. Like, I don't want to look bad. So I'm like, oh, it ain't nothing. I'll go do that. And they run you through this little safety course. And they harness you up. And then you start going up these steps like this. And all the way up those steps, my heart is just going into my throat. I get up there, and and it's not what I'm thinking they're going to do. When I get up there, and they probably don't do it this way anymore, but back then, they they wrapped the bungee cord around my ankles. So you don't, like, get the step off. Like, you're going head first off this thing. I got to be honest. Everything in me standing on that platform was screaming, do not do this. Like I've never had more of a fight with my own body than I did in that moment. But I could hear these kids down there. Come on, passive And there was my fiance. So I dove off the end of that platform and have never done it again since. Now, let me ask you a question. When did I believe? Did I believe when I said, I'll go do this? Did I believe when I walked up those steps? Did I believe when they harnessed me in? No, let me tell you when I believed. When I, I believe when I jumped off the end of that platform. You know why? Because when I jumped off the end of that platform, wherever that bungee cord went, I went. Like a yo-yo, man. I mean, just up and down. I've never been more sick in my life. But I just held it in and swallowed it. Like I wasn't going to. No way. Here's what I'm telling you. There's a whole lot of you who would say, oh, I believe what you said. I believe there's a God. I believe in Jesus. I believe the story that you've told. But here's what I'm asking you. Have you ever jumped? You see, saving faith is a surrender to the control of Jesus. The Bible says, whoever shall call on the name of the Lord will be saved. So here's the first question I want to ask, and then I want to ask one more. Here's here's the question. Do you know God? 
If you want to get to the end of life's table and be able to push away and say, man, I, I can't hold another bite, you'll never get there apart from knowing God. You can make money. You can advance your career. You can be well-known. You can have a great retirement. You can have a big house. You can have more cars than you can drive. But I'm just telling you, if you want to be like Abraham and push away from life's table, you must be the friend of God. There's a second thing about Abraham. I'm not going to spend much time here because I want to come back to what I just said in a few minutes. There's a second thing about Abraham. Abraham walked with God. He walked with God. What does it mean to walk with God? It sounds mysterious. It sounds spiritual. I'm going to give it to you in a definition. Here's what it means to walk with God. To walk with God is to live life in dependence on God rather than in dependence on myself. To walk with God is to live life, right? It's not being off in a cave somewhere, monastery. No, it's to live life moment by moment, hour by hour, day by day, week by week, year by year. It's to live life. But rather than living in dependence on myself, now I live life in dependence on God. You see, once you come to know God, once you put your faith in Jesus by his Holy Spirit, he comes to live inside of you to be your God, to be your friend, to be the one you can depend on for everything. But the problem is he comes to live inside of you and we still have this old sinful flesh to deal with. And here's the bottom line. My flesh wants to be in charge. Paul described it this way in Galatians, but I say walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. The Christian life is a battle of living in dependence on God, what He wants and desires versus living in dependence on myself, what I want and desire. And as a Jesus follower, once you put your faith in God, we choose to live in dependence on him rather than independence on ourselves but when we choose to live independence on us let me tell you what that leads us to be unsatisfied as a matter of fact the most miserable people I know are not non-christians you know why because non-christians don't know what they don't know they think that's all there is to life they don't know what they don't know you know who the most miserable people on earth are followers of Jesus trying to live apart from dependence on him But Abraham, not perfectly. If we did a full character set on Abraham, listen, he had some moments of failure. But the pattern of his life was to live in dependence on God. I'm going to show you one example, and then I'm going to wrap this up. Genesis chapter 12. Look at this on the screen. Here's an example of what I'm talking about. The Lord said to Abram, this is what he was called at this time. God would ultimately change his name to Abram. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Now, we've read that so many times, we read right over what just happened here. But here's what God said. Abram, Abraham, I'm calling you to leave everything you know. I'm calling you to leave everyone you know. I'm calling you to leave everything that's convenient, everything that's comfortable, everything that's routine in your life. I'm calling you to leave it all behind. And you're thinking, okay, then where's he going? <laughs> I'll tell you when I'm good and ready. 
He didn't even say where. He said, I want you to leave everything and I want you to go. He said, now, when you go, I'll make you a great nation and I'll bless your name and I'll make your name great and you'll be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you and I'll uh, curse those who dishonor you. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. I want you to look what Abraham did next. It says in the next verse, give me the next one. Is it up there? You're not going to give it to me. I'll read it to you out of the Bible. Genesis 12, verse 4. So Abram went as the Lord told him. You know what that means? Everything in Abraham screamed, uh, what God's asked me to do is crazy. But Abraham didn't live in dependence on himself. He lived in dependence on God. So here's the question for those of you that are already followers of Jesus. Are you walking with God? I'm going to make it real practical for just a moment. In your relationships, are you living in dependence on yourself? Or are you living in dependence on God? With your money, with your family, with your career, with your future. You're living in dependence on God or are you trying to live in dependence on yourself? Listen, if you do, that'll lead to dissatisfaction. Abraham knew God. Abraham walked with God. Here's the last thing. Abraham was satisfied by God. Satisfied by God. It's the same thing Jesus promised in John chapter 10 when Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and have it what? Say it out loud. You know what that means? More than enough. More than enough. I want you to bow your heads all over the room. Here's the first question I want you to answer. now I want to kind of go to a place where it's, it's almost like it's just you and me in the room don't even, don't even worry about anybody that's why I got you to bow your head there's nothing spiritual or mystical about you bowing your head and closing your eyes I want you to just focus for a minute like it's you and me in the room do you know God have you ever come to the place in your life where you've surrendered the control of your life to Jesus and received him as your Lord and Savior and become the friend of God I'm not asking if you've tried to be a good person. I'm not asking if you've tried to be moral. I'm not asking if you've been baptized or if you've been religious. I'm asking, do you know God? If today you don't know God, but right now in this moment, you're ready to surrender the control of your life to Jesus. You're ready to be the friend of God. With nobody looking around right now but me, I'm going to ask you to just pray a prayer. Now don't misunderstand me. It's not the words of a prayer that brings salvation. It's faith in Jesus that saves. But one of the ways we can put our faith in Jesus is by talking to him in prayer. So if you want to right now become the friend of God, if you want to know that Jesus is your Lord and that you've been forgiven, I want to lead you in a prayer and you just pray right there in your seat after me. Just pray in your own heart. Just say this. Say, Lord Jesus, I know that I've sinned against you. 
I know that you love me anyway. I know that you died for me. I know that you rose again from the dead. And right now, I surrender my life to you. I put my faith in you, Jesus. I receive your forgiveness. I receive your righteousness. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Now just keep your heads bowed. If for the very first time in your life, you just prayed with me to know God, to believe in Jesus, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call out your name. I just want to pray for you, and I want to know who you are. If you just prayed with me for the very first time with nobody looking right now but me, I want you to just slip your hand up and then just put it back down. Just hold it up for a moment. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you, sir. More over here. God bless you, ma'am. God bless you. God bless you. Listen, thank you so much. God bless you. Listen, nobody looking right now but me. If you just raised your hand, if you just trusted Christ with nobody else looking, I want you to just look at me. Just look at me. Just look at me. Just look up here at me. All right, I see. I see. Just keep looking at me. Just look at me. Listen, let me be the first to say to you, welcome to the family of God. Listen, listen. You are now the friend of God. And listen, you didn't earn your way in, so you don't have to keep your way in. You've been invited in by the grace of God, and the grace of God will keep you. You are his beloved child, and from this moment on, nothing can ever change that. I'm going to do what I said. You can go ahead and bow your head again. I'm about to pray for you. But before I do, let me talk to those of you in the room who are already saved. You already know Jesus. You answer the question, yeah, I know God, but here's the second question. Are you walking with God? Is there some stuff in your life right now that you are choosing to live in dependence on yourself rather than in dependence on God? Here's what I'm going to ask you to do right in this moment. Repent. You see, we're called to walk by faith, which means a continuous surrender. Moment by moment now, we surrender our will to His will. And I'm going to ask you to do it right now. Just right there in your seat, begin to cry out to God while I'm praying for these new Christians all over the building. You cry out to God. Ask Him to forgive you. Make a fresh surrender of that relationship, that job, that career, that decision, that sin. Whatever it is, you surrender it to Him. Lord, I pray in this moment by the power of the Holy Spirit. God, that you would do what only you can do. God, that you would flood the souls of these new Christians with assurance that they can know that they know that they know you. God, I pray right now, Lord, that they would be overwhelmed with the reality that though they were dead, now they've been made alive because of Jesus. Lord, I pray they'd let us come around them as a family of faith and walk with them. And I pray for those, God, that are already Christians that are not walking with you. God, that in this moment, they would experience freedom and surrender and forgiveness. And they would leave here with a renewed passion to live in dependence on you. 
God, have your way today. And it's in the mighty name of Jesus we pray. And all of us say together, amen. Hey, would you let all these know how excited we are for them? Amen. Amen.